Today is Tuesday, January 23rd, 2018. And on this episode of the Creative Church Podcast, we talk with Jonathan Malm from Church Stage Design Ideas and author of the latest book, The Hidden Option. This week's episode is sponsored by StockUp. StockUp is the most affordable way for you to create video content. For $25 a month, you get unlimited license-free 5K, 4K, and HD stock video. From aerials to missions videos to Christmas to Easter, StockUp has everything you need, and they're adding 1,000-plus new clips each month. Stop hundreds of dollars per clip and get all the 4K ProRes files you need for only $25 a month. StockUp is the source for unlimited stock video for only $25 a month. Download an unlimited amount of files, no contract, and no licenses. If you want to give StockUp a try, right now they're offering full access to their entire library for free for the first 14 days. All you have to do is go to stockup.com slash creative church. That's S-T-O-K-H-U-B.com slash C-R-T-V church. That's S-T-O-K without a C, StockUp without a C. You're listening to the Creative Church Podcast, where each week we talk about the latest in Christian creative culture and explore the lives of prominent creatives. My name is Nick Goodner. And I'm Ross Montgomery. Ross, welcome to our 11th episode of the Creative Church Podcast. 11. We are, we are 11. Things. Oh, sorry. Stranger Things. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 11. Yeah, that makes sense. Nah. Uh, how's, how, how's your week going? Oh, man. Um, good and okay-ish. <laughs> um, my, our youngest just started crawling. So now they're all mobile oh. and we get to go on to zone defense. Um, and then we, we got a, a new bunny. And it, ha- it it came pregnant, so it has a baby. We have a baby bunny now, and it's you got our bonus bunny, our fourth bunny, and um, that we currently have. And um, and then just just today, my, my son is is projectile vomiting, so oh, it's a no. whole no, load no. of fun at the Montgomery household. Oh, I you know I'm I'm all the way in Orlando. You're in Denver. I still feel like I'm not far enough away from you. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I can't. I, I I vomiting. I haven't vomited in like you know, 10 years, like the Seinfeld thing, you know, I haven't yeah. vomited since, you know, such such state. I, I don't know the exact date, but it's been a long time since I vomited. I can't do it. I, it. It makes me sick to even think about. Um, as for me this week, I've, I've been anticipating getting, uh, my new car. Uh, if you, mm. if those of you don't know, I wrecked my car like two days before the creative huddle in Orlando. And, but that was back in October. And so I've been without a car this entire time. So I've been like Ubering and, uh, borrowing our, our pastor's truck and so we've just been like vagabonds essentially. So we can only walk to like Target and like a couple of restaurants that are real close to the house. But after this week, we've had a little bit of a breakthrough because it looks like after all this time, our lease vehicle is coming in and we're going to be able to lease our car whoop, whoop. or get our or get our lease vehicle by the end of next week. So nice thoughts and prayers. Please send them my way. Please just drown me in the thoughts and prayers on the car. Uh <laughs> But we do have an exciting show planned for you guys this week. Um, hopefully a little bit more bunny news. But uh, we do have Jonathan Mom, my good friend Jonathan Mom, is going to be on the podcast. Uh, Jonathan is, he, you may know him from Sunday Social. You might know him from Church Stage Design Ideas. But he just recently read a, wrote a book called The Hidden Option. And it is a fantastic book. It's actually in February. We're reading it all together in our Creative Talks group. So if you're in our Creative Talks group, get Jonathan's book. And we're all going to be reading it together and discussing it each week. So it's a great read. It's a real quick read. And, uh, and, and not to be confused, he is he he is in no way an heir to the IKEA fortune. Exactly. Yeah. No. No way is he. Yeah. He's not even related to the people. The same mom that makes the IKEA furniture. I'm just assuming it's a guy named Mom. Um, yeah. Not related. No relation. But uh, next up is trending. 
Welcome to Trending. Typically each week, Ross and I gather one article from last week's headlines that's important to us and that we feel is impacting culture, church, and creators, and we discuss it. However, this week we're only going to be talking on one topic, and uh, that's Ross's trending topic. So Ross, what do you have for us today? Um, I think there's a lot that we need to look at as far as how um, the church is, is approaching women, especially in leadership, um, and how it approaches women uh, who need help. Um, because a lot of churches you can look at have all male leadership and women not finding themselves reflected in that can have some adverse, um, effects. But the story that I'm bringing is the Memphis mega church high point church is, uh, going through some, some things right now. Andy Savage, a pastor at the church, um, recently, had a a female who came forward that accused him of sexually assaulting her in 1998 when she was 17 years old and he was a youth pastor and he took advantage of her. Now, what's really polarizing about this is that he offered to drive her home from church, but took her to this, took her a different way and, um, and sexually assaulted her. And now it seems that he is trying to brush everything under the rug and, and just really kind of doing what the church is good at and saying, well, I've sinned, I've taken responsibility for it, what, whatever that means, and that he's never kept it a secret from church leaders as he's had different jobs. Um, this happened in Texas uh, and he's in Memphis now. But, you know, he, he was kind of saying and trying to minimize what was happening by saying, I didn't know there was unfinished business with Jules Woodson. That's the, the woman's name. And he's deeply sorry for his actions 20 years ago. He remains committed to trying to cooperate towards forgiveness and healing. And um, he never directly responded to her. The first time she heard his apology was on this public thing. And, and he got a standing ovation from the church members. Um, but to me, there was a you, lot when of... You say public thing, you mean he, he announced it to his church. He announced it to the church before he said anything directly to Jules Woodson. And that was the first time she saw this apology and using air quotes because it was really a non-apology because he was minimalizing what happened, just saying, I sinned instead of saying, you know, I did something illegal. I sexually abused a minor when I was a youth pastor. The, the church kind of is rallying behind him and, and, still holding him up on this pedestal while Jules um, really doesn't feel like it's been dealt with because nothing's been reported to law enforcement. There's the um, statute of limitations that they're dealing with because it was 20 years ago. But I think the church has a problem, and especially men, of victim blaming. Well, it was 20 years ago. Why didn't you come out until now? Well, you can look at some things that are going on, and when victims speak out, they're never believed. So I think one of the most important things we can do is believe them and realize that this is a difficult decision to come forward on this kind of thing. They're not looking for any kind of fame or to tear anybody down. She's obviously been dealing with this for 20 years. And her she's quoted as saying, I just hope that by me coming forward, that I would give courage to one other person. It doesn't matter if I was his only victim. What matters is that this was a big problem and continues to go on. And she um, decided to come forward with her story when the whole um, Matt Lauer, uh, the anchor of NBC's Today, was fired after a former colleague accused him of inappropriate sexual behavior. And so 
she sent Andy Savage an email and saying, do you remember when this happened? And she thought that he would respond and might apologize, um, but didn't hear anything for over a month. And uh, she decided to go public with it because, you know, this is a man who's in leadership, who's over these people. And, you know, his dealing with it in private obviously hasn't worked or, you know, isn't something that is taking place, especially when looking to reconcile with her. So, you know, I think there's a lot of things we can look at and and see that as a church or as we work in churches, how these things should and should not be dealt with. We're not meant to minimize victims. We're meant to lift them up and to reconcile what's been done wrong to them. And we have to name it um, because there was even some things in this story where um, he seemed to minimize what actually happened right after um, because after Jules Woodson was telling the story in 98, she said the church sent Andy Savage to apologize to her mother, but Andy never told her mother explicitly what happened, leaving this kind of impression that, oh, they'd only kissed. But it was worse than that. It was sexual abuse. There was a sex act performed, uh, to put it bluntly. And we have to call that out. And I think one of the things that we can do is like, Think of this victim. She has been obviously dealing with this for 20 years and all the stuff going on in culture right now with um, the Me Too movement and all that. Obviously, she's going to feel that kind of what all is boiling up in her. I can't even imagine from what happened to her. And for them to just to make light of it and think one little apology on a weekend to a standing ovation is going to make everything okay. It's not. And I think some severe action needs to be taken. I I believe his publisher, I can't remember the publisher's name of his book right now. He wrote a book on marriage and they've pulled publishing his book um, because of this. So they're actually responding in a better way than his church is right now, in my opinion. To wrap all this up. um, It's obviously complicated. um, We're not even going to begin to say that we understand how this woman feels because we're essentially two men on a podcast and (laughs) we can't even wrap our minds around that. Nope. Um, but we are going to continue to say this, and that is we have to always question as creatives, as creators, we have to question what's being fed to us, what's being shot out of the pipeline, how we're reacting to things and whether that's the best way to react or if we are, are doing something wrong. And in this case, as an outside perspective, as a commentator on news stories and, and media stories, this to me is not the proper way for us to be reacting to it. And to men specifically, I think the best thing you can do in light of this is have conversations with those women in your life. Um, Ask them, do you have a me too story? Ask them what their perspective of this story is after, you know, if they're not up to speed on it, have them get up to speed on it. Not you telling them the story, but let them do the research on their own and, and decide what they, um, feel about this and then ask them and just listen. Don't insert any whatabouts or well actuallys. Just listen and sit there with that and chew on it and think about how that's affecting women. All right. Well, on that note, we'll go ahead and we'll wrap things up. Next up is our interview with Jonathan Malm. Jonathan runs churchstagedesignideas.com, Sunday Social, and speaks to churches all over the world about creativity. 
He's the author of The Hidden Option, a book that helps believers find God's creativity in impossible situations. And it's also the book of the month for Creative Talks for February. You'll find him in San Antonio, Texas, roasting his own coffee beans and enjoying life with his wife, Carolina. Here's our conversation with Jonathan Malm. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for joining me today and having a conversation about writing, your book, The Hidden Option, and whatever else we can come up with. Happy to talk with no no agenda. (laughs) No agenda, except you wrote a book. Um, what, What really kind of set you out to write a book called The Hidden Option, which I I love the title, by the way. It really makes me wonder, can I find it? Yeah. (laughs) I I think this is one of those stories that maybe I find interesting, but nobody else does. So hopefully it's not dreadful. We'll see. (laughs) So I was was contacted out of the blue by this conference and they said, hey, I saw an article. It was a guy from a conference said, "I, I saw your article on Relevant. And then I went and looked at your blog and I was interested in maybe having you come speak at the conference. But I, I read this one sentence from one of your blog posts that I thought I would love him to talk about that. So that scared me, of course, because <laughs> how do I build a whole 45, 50 minute talk out of one sentence? Yeah. Uh, he said, creativity is finding uh, the third option when it appears there are only two. So that was the sentence. Creativity is finding the third option when it appears there's only two. So I was like, okay, I do believe that I wrote that. Um, but, <laughs> Sounds like something I would write. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, well, and I actually had to like search through my blog to find that that sentence, and then the the rest of the blog wasn't even about that. So I was like, that doesn't help me. So I just said, okay, well, give me give me like a, a few days to think through this. Like, let me see if I can come up with something for this. So uh, I just started, you know, reading scripture and and kind of exploring the idea of what that means, and the idea just started coming alive inside me. Um, I came really excited about this idea of, of a third option or a hidden option. And as I was developing the talk, I, I found there was so much more content that I couldn't fit into the talk that mm-hmm. I wanted to share with people. So that's really what birthed the book. And then on September 11th, I hopped on a plane, not September 11th, 2001, oh, yeah. another September 11th, uh, more recently. And I started writing the book. I was heading to the conference to speak that day and I started writing the book. So September 11th is when I began the book and I finished it pretty quickly because it was it was all really fresh and really exciting in my mind. Yeah. So what I mean, that process even sounds interesting to me. I'm I'm by no means a writer. Um, I used to, you know, want to blog back when it was like GeoCities, but um <laughs> You know, taking this thing you find this passion for, like you said, that that sentence kind of unlocked all this stuff in you and you got really excited about it. So obviously, as a creative, your brain starts running a million miles an hour and you want to get that down, those thoughts down clear in written form in this case. Like, what's that process look like for you and and how do you, you know, keep yourself on track, kind of edit yourself either as you go or as you look back at it? What's that look like? Yeah, so I mean, I find constraints are one of the best um, opportunities for writing and for for any creativity. So really what I did is I started coming up with my 10 chapter topics and I said, this is what I'm going to write about. Like, I I think so often we have this big idea in our head and until we put like borders around it, it's impossible to actually act on it. So I had to put borders on my idea. I said, you know, each chapter is going to be 2,400 words. Um, each chapter is going to be about this topic. And then what I would do is I would just sit down and I would write. I would try to write the whole chapter in one day. 
um, usually about an hour, but that meant unfiltered writing. And that yeah. meant, you know, there were chapters that I was writing that I felt like they sucked. Like this okay. is horrible. Uh, the, the crazy thing is, though, once I got back to that chapter, I started realizing, you know, actually, this wasn't as bad as I thought it was. You sometimes get in your own head and think, oh, I'm not coming across clearly or, or this. But once you put that separation between yourself and your work, so I would come back, you know, I would write one day and then I would edit the next day um, where I would edit a week later. And I would see, you know, actually, that was really good. There was a few things I could tweak. Obviously, I, you know, there were sometimes I rewrote some stuff because, you know, especially in editing process. But yeah. I found out that, you know, that unfiltered, just once I have my parameters in place, once I have my outline, once I have my research, just write and go for it. And then you can rearrange the pieces later and you can make it fit and you can clean it up. But that's really how creativity works best for me is I can't overthink it in the moment. Yeah. No, that sounds like a great place to start. I mean, a lot, a lot of different avenues of creativity sounds like, you know, you just kind of shotgun blast all these things that come into your head and then, and then you start chiseling away and refining it. Yeah, I, I, I really work best in bursts of energy. Okay. So I get a topic, I get an idea, and then I'm like a puppy with a toy, you know, where I just like <laughs> attack that thing and I roll around with it. And then once I come out from the, the playtime, I see how much I destroyed it or what, what happened, you know? Yeah, no, that's <laughs> pretty accurate description. I just, I just a got a new puppy. Processes. I got a new puppy like two huh. days ago, so I'm like in that's, the puppy mode. That's ripe for the, for the <laughs> perfect illustration. There, yeah. Yeah. Well, so as you were working on, you know, these chapter by chapter kind of getting to the point where was, you know, I, I don't know if you're much of a perfectionist, but where was that point that you just say that you just said you had to like call it like, okay, I can't focus on this anymore or else I'm going to destroy it by trying to refine it too much. And, you know, it's getting across what I wanted to get across and I need to move on. Well, and that's, that's where I find the beauty of working with other people. I think you have to be very willing to let your work see the light of day mm. and you have to let it be critiqued Even by Even during the people. editing process? Oh, especially during that editing yeah. process. So, you know, I would, I would write, I would do my own edit. And then once the whole book was written, I would, you know, read through it one more time. Um, I just can't overthink it too much because I realize it's only going to ever get as good as my eyes. You know, like if I want it to get better, it needs to get in front of other people. So early on in the process, I actually submitted it to five people and said, hey, you know, five people from different walks of life, different, um, mm -hmm. different races, different ages, different genders, and said, hey, I want you to tear this apart. Like, this is a nice concept, but is it trite? Like, is it, is it kind of useless, like when it actually meets the road? Um, so I wanted you to say, hey, you know, is my, some of my scripture, some of my um, theology off on this? Is some of my, is some of it confusing? Did I, was I unclear? So I just submitted it to them and said, hey, I just want you to tear it apart. I don't want you to edit it. Like, I don't want you to come out, like there'll be spelling errors. I know. Don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, I'll get to that later. But I want you to just tear apart the idea. And some feedback was great. You know, some feedback I couldn't use because what, you know, I realized there was specific sensitivities to them and them. Oh. Uh, based on their talk, based on their knowledge of me that made them, you know, but some people were like, Hey, you know, you said something that was kind of sexist. And I'm like, uh, I didn't intend that at all, but I really see how, what, how, what you read comes across that way. So oh, things like that are really valuable. Um, yeah. and then I went back and did some rewrites and then I submitted it to another actually like more professional editor. That's when I started paying people to edit it. Oh, and, yes. um, that's when I started throwing some money at it. But uh, man, the, you know, as, as early as you can get people in on the process, you can find your blind spots 
really realize that, okay, I, I thought this is what I was communicating, but I wasn't. So it, it really helps with that. I think that's true in any, any artwork. Um, it can be scary, but the key is giving people proper parameters early on to say, hey, this is what I'm looking for from you. I'm not looking for you to, you know, in, in design, I'm not looking for you to critique my colors. The <laughs> colors are stuck there. I'm not looking for you to critique the title. Yeah. Um, and you submit it to, to trusted people. These are people yes. I knew. These are people, hey, I, I value your perspective on this. So I want you to give me your perspective on my project. So, uh, yeah, trusted people give specific parameters. And I think feedback is, is hugely valuable. Yeah, I think that's exactly it is like, you kind of have to grow this, this thick skin. You you know, you kind of, it's that, it's that letting the butterfly go kind of thing. Yeah. And that's uh, the, that's the that. beauty of it is, is really trying to, you know, I live by my to-do list. I don't have things fluttering around in my mind that I want to do. If I have the idea and I decide to do it, I put it on my to-do list and I put a, a due date on it. So what that means is as soon as I'm done with it and I send it off, it's out of my mind. I'm working on the next thing on my to-do list. So hmm. the nice thing is while they're editing it, some people are like, hey, sorry, it's been you know two weeks that I haven't gotten to edit it yet. I'm like, man, I completely forgot about the project until it comes up in uh, my Things app. And then I see, oh, I need to check with them. You know, like I, I, I schedule out things like, hey, check with them. Did they get the edits done? Um, but otherwise, I don't think about it, which is really helpful to, yeah. to then come back. And I by the time I get it back, I almost forgot what I wrote. Like... Uh, I have to rewrite, read it and like, oh, yeah, I could totally see what you're saying. You know, some creatives aren't really too keen on promoting themselves. You know, it may be a project that they're very excited about. Like, oh, I've, I've really had a lot of fun doing this. But they're not going to be like, oh, hey, look what I did, um, which it can seem to come across that way to people who haven't really promoted themselves before. You know, they're like, well, you know, and and by no means am I saying you're not humble. I, I'm just saying that's that's part of it. You've You've got to say, hey, I made this thing. And I really want you to see it. Yeah, I think that's part of part of that comes. I think you have to see promotion as a gesture of love and not yeah. as a selfish act. Okay. So yeah. you know, think about the greatest message in the world, the message of Jesus and what He did for us. That is the greatest message on earth. Yet yeah. it still needs promotion. Like it should. It should just like happen like it should just like people should just get it immediately like if i were if i were looking for the greatest thing on the on earth and i and i saw a bible i'm like man i got this i don't need anyone to tell me this but there's something necessary about letting people know about it and even more so in our society where we're we're you know saturated with messages saturated with people wanting to buy something so you have to really believe that what you've created is valuable enough to let people know about it like, if you truly believe, hey, I, I really believe this can help you. Like, I really believe the hidden option can help people find new ways to attack their problems. Like, I really believe in that. So then I have to say, okay, so how am I going to help people connect to that? Like, and I know, I know it's not for everyone. The book is not for everyone. I think everyone could get something from it, but I really know that even when I wrote it, I'm writing to a very specific person. Um, I would even think of that specific person in my head when I was writing. So um, then I say, okay, where are people like that person and how can I connect it with them? Because I think this is what they need. Um, so, so it was all about trying to find those people and then saying, hey, you need this. I wrote this for you. Uh, and I think that sometimes we create something more from like I have this innate desire to create inside of me mm-hmm. and it's not meeting a real need. And that's where it feels like we're just promoting ourselves because we are promoting ourselves. It's really just to scratch our own itch and not to help other people's needs. So uh, I think that's part of the process is creating something that you feel like is meeting someone's need and then 
man, just let them know about it. It's it's the simplest thing in the world. S- same thing with salvation. It should be the simplest thing in the world to say, hey, <laughs> I had a need. This yeah. was my need. And Jesus met that need. And all, that's, all he, that's all we have to do. That's all marketing for that sort of thing is, is just telling people, hey, this is how it met my need. This is how it met other people's need. Yeah. Are you interested in it? If not, no worries. It's nothing personal. But I think it can meet your need. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I know that's kind of a thing I've I've dealt with before of, um, you know, as I've kind of honed my skills and, and been able to do better and more, more higher quality um, projects and, and finish off some really good things. Um, when I have other people brag on me, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's not why I did it. But then, like you're saying, yeah, that's not why you did it. But if it's something that will help someone, man, absolutely. Like, you know, maybe someone's making a, a story video for a church. Like, think about the one person that might be truly impacted by that video, you know, that kind of thing. Like, there's going to be someone that's sitting there and they hear that just like a pastor on a weekend. Like someone's going to be sitting there. You never know where they're coming from and what they're going to respond to. But um, there could be that one thing where it just changes everything for them. I think it's easy to lose the forest through the trees Mm. in that you, I mean, the simplest thing, again, for churches, the simplest thing, all we're trying to do is, hey, that need you're experiencing, whether that's a broken relationship, whether that's a broken heart, whether that's financial issues, whether that's just needing, needing salvation from your sin, we have Jesus. It's that's, that's it. And that's really what our message is. And that should be so easy, but we get lost in logos and designs <laughs> and worship sets. And those are all part of it, right? Those all lead to helping people find the satisfaction for their need. But we can't get lost in the, in the weeds. We have to remember, okay, this is what we're doing. Is everything that we're doing accomplishing that purpose? If not, yeah. we're not doing anything. We're not doing it right. We're not doing what we should be doing. So I think that's what happens a lot of times, especially with creatives is, you know, I, for, so for instance, I had to get my buddy Joe Cavazos to design the cover because I could get so lost in designing the cover for my book that (laughs) I didn't remember that, Hey, I'm trying to figure out how to get this in front of people. Like I, I, I need to do what I can to keep the main purpose, the main purpose, and then let other people handle things that I don't need to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense being able to all work it together and know that you don't need to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I think, you know, my, my tendency is, you know, I worked for a a pretty huge conference a few years ago and I loved it. I loved working with the team. I loved, but I realized to a degree, I'm also a little bit of a lone wolf. Like I don't do well with a boss. Um, (laughs) Like I, I'm, I'm very respectful. I'm very like, but I have this, drive this actually when I got hired to that job he said they gave me a personality test and he's like hey man so your score uh like you're insane like that's <laughs> that's the score that I got and I realized it's because I when I get an idea I am like a puppy and I just go after it so I realized I work best by myself but part of my maturity is learning okay how to figure out how to work best by myself, but also still bring other people into it. Because it is, the value you get from bringing other people into the process is so much more than just what you can do on your own. So moving moving on from kind of the whole process of, of this book and everything, um, when you take on other projects or you're maybe in, in, in just stoking your own creativity, what are some things and practices or how do you kind of just sit there and gain inspiration um you know obviously this was kind of a 
anomaly with, oh, hey, there's this one sentence. And then the more you dug into it, the more it created all this stuff. Where are some regular things as you're kind of going to the next project that you find inspiration and, and ways to kind of refuel your creativity? You know, the one thing that I really love doing is intentionally breaking free from the norm, at least in my brainstorming process. So if I see someone has done something before, I intentionally say, I can't do that. That's part of like, that's part of my personality type. I'm like devil's advocate to the max. Like just because other people believe a certain way, um, I'm actually going to believe contrary to that just to try to break free from the box. So for instance, you know, whenever churches were hating on Harry Potter or the Da Vinci Code, like the first <laughs> thing I did was go out and buy those books. I'm like, if everyone is thinking one way, I have to think the opposite way. Um, the exception to that was the whole Fifty Shades of Grey thing because I knew the yeah, content might no, not be that's... beneficial toward my, for my soul. But, um, <laughs> but the idea is that, you know, so, you know, whenever it comes to ideas, it, it shocks me sometimes how I'll run across someone who is just duplicating an idea they've seen before. And there's, mm. nothing, there's nothing wrong with some of that. Like, like there's, you know, for, especially with churches, sometimes you just have to have a video you know, every week, like every week you're creating something new. That's the hardest thing in the world. What I do, I tend to make projects and these projects are like uh, my babies that I'm releasing to the world. I have no timeline. No one's telling me to do these things. So I can be a little bit more like, hey, no one's done this before. I'm going to try it. Like, I love that. Um, and But churches, you know, they don't have that luxury as much. But at the same time, anytime it comes to brainstorming, I love to think, okay, no one's done this. Let's try this. And maybe there's something there, maybe there's not. That's when you, when you um, submit your idea to leadership so that they can you know, really kind of keep you in check. Uh, one idea I had, man, I had this maybe 10 years ago or something when I was working at a church. I don't know. That's probably not correct. Uh, but I had this idea. We were doing a, a, a series on, on, on sex and uh, just purity. And I wanted to do this idea of victorious secrets. And that's not a new idea. Some people have done that <laughs> since then. But I had never seen anyone do that before. And I'm like, that's edgy. That's, that's rough. We didn't end up doing it. But another church in town did it. And I'm like, were you guys in our meeting? Like, they did it a couple <laughs> years later. I was like, how did you? Uh, obviously, yeah. you know, there, there's no new ideas. But I love, the, I love the idea. What we ended up doing was really unique because we at least, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like elastic. When you stretch elastic, it goes back, but it's also a little bit longer than it used to be, right? Like, there, it still maintains a little bit of the memory of the stretch. So I think that's what happens whenever you stretch your ideas. When you stretch your ideas, yeah, it snaps back, but it gets a little bit closer to further away. Like, it goes a little bit further away. You get a hmm. little bit looser. You get a little bit uh, braver. The, you know, whenever you brainstorm big, then you can snap back and come up with something still bigger than you might have if you just hadn't brainstormed big. Does that make sense? That's, that was very... Uh, it was very uh, abstract concept, but that's, that's, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that kind of made sense. I think, I think I can track along with that. You know, there's Christmas at the movies that pe that a lot of churches will do, maybe figure out a way to subvert that or <laughs> right, right when the office was kind of in its height, the, there was a ton of churches doing series on the office and different, uh, TV shows and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm generally um, against those uh, not because not that's what because, I'm saying. Subvert it. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it, well, and yeah, part of that is just my rebellious nature, right? Like I'm against those. But and I don't think there's anything wrong. I think here's what I think. It, I realized this whenever I was first looking for church. I, I stopped working at my church. We moved to another city, me and my wife. 
and I went to two drastically different churches. I went to the Village Church, which is Matt mm. Chandler, and then I went to Fellowship Church, which is Ed Young Jr., <laughs> right? Like, and I realized I loved both of those churches. I'm like, I could see myself at either one of these churches. And the reason was not because they matched a style, but because I saw their intentionality. They each did things drastically differently, but they did them with such intentionality that I'm like, man, I can respect that. Ed Young is the type who will do a series based on pop culture, but he's intentional about it. I think a lot of times we do that because like, oh, what's the path of least resistance? Um, which is never, I think, the approach to take. But whenever you say, okay, this is our goal and this will accomplish our goal, man, do whatever you want short of sin, right? Like uh, find ways to, to accomplish the purpose, but it's all about intentionality. So if that The Office series uh, <laughs> is going to be intentional with what you're trying to accomplish, go for it. But uh, don't do it just because it's the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't go in this case. Don't go for the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, and you know I'm really all about low hanging fruit. Like like uh, Sunday Social, for instance, I feel like was low hanging fruit. There was there was this massive need for social media graphics, and no one was meeting it. Uh, I mean, there were some people who were meeting it, but not to the uh, effect that I thought it could be met. Yeah. So that was low hanging fruit for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm in this in this context. Yeah, but maybe, when it comes to when so it comes much. to at the same time. <laughs> Then when it comes to the work we create, that's not low-hanging fruit. So sometimes yeah. I think the, the big idea, the passion project, see, yeah, yeah is low-hanging fruit, but the, the, the implementation is not low-hanging fruit. There you go. That's a great way to divide it out. Yeah. I like that a lot. I just thought of that just now. <laughs> well, I think I, I think I smell a new book on the horizon with that one. Or you smell some bull because I'm just talking out of it. So what would you say is one piece of advice that has really stuck with you that kind of guides just your whole ethos? Whoa, that's a big, that's a big topic. <laughs> um, so a piece of advice that has guided my whole ethos. Yeah. Is there just kind of something that you always keep in the back of your head? That's the driving thought, the force that you've kind of heard from a mentor or that you learned along the way that, that you're just always hang on to. And as no matter what project you're in, it can apply. I think, I, I don't know that I've heard anyone say this, but I feel like this really is really true. Is I feel like there are, there's treasure hidden everywhere. And that's really a little bit of what I talk about the hidden option. And that's why I feel like this is sort of like my book. Like it's like my passion, like who I am in this book is that there is hidden treasure everywhere. Uh, and we just need to find it. So I feel like there, that, what that means is I feel like we have a scarcity mentality a lot of times in life. You know, like mm. when, you know, when you're a kid, you grow up, your parents buy a pizza, maybe you have siblings, and there are eight pieces of pizza, and there are five people. So what that means is that uh, some people are going to get two pieces, and some people are going to get one. So scarcity mentality says I have to be the one who gets one of those two pieces. Uh, and that means I have to get one in order for someone else not to get one. Like that's, that's a competition, hmm. scarcity mentality. But, you know, I believe we, we serve the king who owns everything, right? So like I, I have to realize just because that pizza is gone doesn't mean there's another pizza down the road, right? Like doesn't mean there's another one. You know, yeah, it, growing up you realize there's only one pizza. Your parents, like they skimped out. They went, they went. They didn't do it. But you also realize I could share, I could cut this piece in half. I could, there's, there's more than just like 
I have to advance so you can't advance. Like, I think that's, that's it. So what that means is there's a lot of opportunities. There's, there's money to be made everywhere. There are um, unique ideas everywhere. You just have to be willing to dig and find those ideas. So avoid that scarcity mentality that says, I have to, I have to be like a, a, a scrapyard dog fighting over scraps when realize, man, there's this whole orchard uh, over to the left that if you just look at it, you can find bountiful food, bountiful ideas, bountiful joy, bountiful um, opportunities. Yeah. No, that's that's great. Sorry, I'm I'm like, I'm like hopelessly optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> well, so yeah, being being an optimist, um, when you run across frustrating moments, yeah. uh, as you're going along with projects, how how do you deal with those? Well, so here's a, I, I don't know if this actually answers the question. I would just it just made me think of it really quickly. Is this is my dad's favorite joke in the world? So I'll tell you my dad's joke. Oh, dad joke's coming up. <laughs> but then I'll tell you the illustration for this joke. So there were there were these two kids. Uh, one was an optimist, just believed the best about everything. And one was just a pessimist, just negative. No matter what the circumstance, the kid was negative. And the parents saw that, you know, there were two extremes. The parents said, we have to do something about this. The optimist is just too positive, pessimist, too negative. So uh, at Christmas time, we are going to try to balance them out a little bit. So... Christmas morning, the, the kids walk downstairs and the pessimist, there's just this mountain of toys under the tree for the pessimist. Uh, and the pessimist just starts being like, oh, man. Oh. And the parents are like, why are you complaining right now? And the pessimist boy says, well, I have all these new toys and they're probably, they're probably all eventually going to break and I don't even have the place to store them. Like, I just don't... I just don't think this is this is going to be good for me. And so the parents are frustrated. Uh, then they look to the optimist and say, "Hey, sorry, um, we don't we didn't put you a, a gift under the tree. We put something in your room. Go look at it." So they they take the kid to his room, and the room is just piled up with horse poop. And they say, "Here you go. Got got you a room full of horse poop." And the kid. The optimistic kid starts jumping, bouncing around, getting so excited. He's like, woohoo, woohoo. And the parents say, what could you possibly be excited about? And the kid says, man, with all this horse poop around, there must be a pony somewhere. <laughs> and so my dad loves to say, look for the pony. So whenever you're surrounded by a bunch of horse poop, look for the pony, look for the opportunity, look for the, the thing that maybe is off, off picture, is offset that is creating all this problem that might be a great opportunity for you. So um, what that means is whenever, you're, whenever you deal with frustrating circumstances, and again, this is really what the hidden option is about, is, is saying, okay, uh, my fight or flight response, whenever I feel attacked, whenever I feel bad things are happening, my fight or flight response is you know, fight or run away. That's the default binary response we have. And this is probably a couple chapters of the book that I'm talking about right now. Um, but what if instead you say, what if there's a hidden option here? What if there's actually something good? What if there's gold in the middle of these rocks that look so rough and look so sharp? What if there's gold and what if I mine that gold out of it? So I believe there are opportunities in every single thing. You know, my, my wife and I, we went through a really rough season, uh, after moving from Dallas, she went through just depression, anxiety, um, and it could have been damaging you know, I, I could have saw, seen it as like something that was completely damaging to our relationship, completely damaging to, to my marriage, to my life. But really, I found that we were able to grow closer. Our relationship got much richer. We were able to 
um, experience things by traveling and doing things that we couldn't have done otherwise. Like there are opportunities found within this even negative situation. Uh, we just have to be willing to look at that, look for the pony in all the horse poop. To find out more about Jonathan and all that he is doing, visit the podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. Welcome to Reply All, where each week we pose a question and give you the chance to answer online in our Creative Talks group on Facebook. Last week we asked, which movie slash movies releasing in 2018 are you looking forward to seeing? Here are a few of our favorites in no particular order or reading. Cody Justin Best Pick said uh, Black Panther. Already got my uh, tickets, Cody, so good on you. I hope you do too. Um, Well, (laughs) Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which I know is number one on Nick's list. Oh, yeah. Number one. Number one. <laughs> number, number one in one. movies you do not want to see is what I number meant. Um, Infinity see. War, which I think we can all say we're all looking forward to. Yes. And Fantastic Beasts 2. Yep. That's a sequel to Fantastic Beasts 1. So That it, would it make sense why they put a 2 after it. Well, you know, sometimes you... I feel like that was sense. obvious, but Nick, I if I need to like spell things out in crayon for you, just let me know. <laughs> Ross, all movie titles are relative. Did you not know that? Mm. Um <laughs> I mean, you know, it, they could have gone the Star Wars route. Two is coming yeah, out before true. one, you know? Right. Maybe. Right, maybe. Uh, Branding Billens said all the Marvel stuff. I agree. All mm. the Marvel stuff. All the, all the Marvel stuff. Because there was things. one on my list I forgot last week. Ant-Man and the Wasp is coming mm, out. Yes. And I'm looking forward to that. I, I'm, I'm so excited about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Jeanette Danson Yates said, Ready Player One. Ooh, so I just started reading the book. Um, so I'm really hopeful that I can... Uh, Finish that before I go watch the movie. I believe it comes out in March. Um, again, another Infinity War. And Han Solo, only because I am committed to being an Uber fan of all things Star Wars related. That's so, right. uh, yeah. Amen. I mean, you got it's kind of like an Apple Amen. fanboy. I recently moved to Google Pixel. And, oh, man, the hate that comes from Apple purists or, you know, no, how's life no. in a green bubble? You know, whatever. Let's, let's preference this conversation. You know, I'm going to do... Ross is talking about a group chat in particular that I'm a part of, and I won't name the other names, but you can find them on the Pop Culturist podcast that are also a part of that. And Ross has destroyed our friendship. Um, <laughs> his phone is destroying lives in our friendship because we cannot get that group tra- chat right anymore. Chad, I'm speaking for Chad in particular. It broke his, his phone. phone. It broke his yeah, phone. It just broke my his phone, phone is great. I love my yeah. phone. So His phone is know, broken, so good job, Apple. I'm just, I'm, you know, don't let Ross trick you. It is not an Apple fanboy thing. If we all had Androids, we'd still be making the same conversation. It is crazy. Anyway. I can um, still give response, so I'm happy. Yeah, he can still give response. He just can't do anything else whenever it comes to the group chat. (laughs) (laughs) I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Nick. Come on now. Uh, It's a relative truth. Um, (laughs) TK Spencer said, I've been looking forward to the Infinity series for about 10 years Ooh, now. 10 years. 10 years. Wow. And it ha- I guess it has been 10 years since the yeah, first Iron Man. Yeah, it's crazy. Right? Time flies, man, when you're Marvel. Yeah. And uh, he said, I'm so pumped. I'm rewatching all the Marvel movies between now and then. Oh, awesome. Wow. That's perfect. That's great. Now, I will say, though, I read through that list several times. 
I don't see a lot of fan enthusiasm for the for the Mamma Mia movie. So I don't mm, know if people I don't think, know about uh, it yet. I think that's very telling. Or <laughs> oh, oh. although I I do believe they had one of the actors from Mamma Mia on uh, the second season of the Grand Tour. I've been watching, so they're doing some celebrity things on there, and they had had uh, I can't even remember his name. See how important it was. Um, so, anyways. <laughs> This week's reply all is, what is one social media trend you wish would fade away into obscurity? Ooh. This Nick, is a good do, you, do you have any strong opinions on this? I don't have any very strong opinions, but I was kind of thinking about it, you know, before we were getting into this. And there's one thing that drives me crazy. And uh, I, I see that this week it's kind of, um, it, it's kind of hit. I, I see this meme or meme a lot. And it's Did the one Did you just mispronounce the, meme? I, I'm sorry. I, First of all, the, how dare you, sir? Since the inception of memes, I've been pronouncing it mem. I'm sorry. You all have to forgive me. But uh, there's this meme out there about wolves walking in the snow. Have you seen it? I can't say that I've really seen a a wolf meme recently. Okay, I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, It's a line of wolves. They're walking in the snow. And in the cliff notes, it says that the oldest and the weak are in the front. Oh, I did actually see this once. I didn't know it was a repeated meme. Yeah, well, to me, I see it all the time. Oh, interesting. And then the alpha wolf is in the back because he's protecting the pack so he can see them all. And it's just total garbage. It's not based in fact at all. The story is good, but the facts are not there. It's not how nature works. It's not how wolves work. Uh, it's just all a big, big lie. And I saw that um, one of the one of the ladies from Bethel and I and I'm, I'm forgive me I, I'm I'm scratching on the name right now but uh, she had posted it and then she had posted a, a follow up post that said oh I'm sorry it was actually fake news and you know thank you hmm. for that because that that I hope is is going to fade away from me what about you Ross what is one thing you wish would fade away in social media fade away in social media one um, one trend that's popular well it's actually kind of funny because that's one of the sections in in the book that I recently read uh, called I'm judging you by um, Lovey Ajay, um, she talks about just like completely boring, meaningless posts. Like, got up and brushed my teeth. Like, we we still don't care. Um, right, right. <laughs> like, like don't. But but as far as trends is like, um, one thing I've been seeing on Instagram recently is a ridiculous desperation for people to comment. Um, there's been some kind of fun. Uh, meme-ish accounts that I follow and you know they'll have this funny meme up but then the the caption is ridiculous they're like my phone battery is at eight percent what's yours at comment below or they're like the third emoji is your your uh is what you would feel like during a zombie apocalypse post it below and I'm like no you're uh stop no I feel like John Chris should take that on and if you want to answer uh and, and tell us what trend you want to see just be obliterated into non-existence uh you can answer on our creative talks group on facebook um on that note we'll go ahead and we'll wrap things up there are a few great ways that you can share your appreciation for the creative church podcast first subscribe and add us to your favorite podcatcher we also release all of our episodes on our website at creativechurch.com and you can also review this podcast and show us some rating star love on itunes so we can get more exposure and uh, people can find us and you know, see that we interview people with the same name as Ikea Furniture. Lastly, consider sharing this episode on social media. You can find us by searching our handle Creative Church. That's one word, CRTV Church. 
Special thanks to Jonathan for joining us today. You can check out all that he's doing by heading over to our podcast episode page on our website at creativechurch.com. Also, thanks to Stock Up for sponsoring today's show. Do us a big favor and go check them out and sign up for that 14-day free trial. In the meantime, I'm Nick Goodner. I'm Ross Malm. <laughs> I mean, Montgomery. Okay, we're going to get sued for that now. And we will see you next episode. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Creative Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at creativechurch.com. That's crtvchurch.com. Also, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Creative Church. I didn't record any of this.